1: Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans
0: to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I've just sold my business. I'm technically in retirement and I'm dying of stage four cancer.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And he said, None of this is guaranteed, so you need to make your golden years now. Find out what your more like this experience is, you know, because he said, I wish I'd given myself more times like this. Mm -hmm. Find out what your more like this is a lot earlier and make your golden years now.
1: Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins and welcome to Life, Death and the Space Between. Today, I have Chris Carr on the show, and if you have not heard of Chris, you may be living under a rock, because Chris is a multi-week New York Times bestselling author, speaker, and wellness activist who has lived with a stage four cancer diagnosis. But it was the death of her father most recently that resulted in her facing losses and addressing her grief in a very different way. Her new book, I'm Not a Mourning Person, is out now. Welcome, Chris.
0: Thank you, Amy. Thanks for having me.
1: So you have been living with this stage four cancer diagnosis, but what was different about the experience of losing your dad that pushed you to face your grief in a different way? We're digging right in here. We're not wasting any time.
0: I love it. Um, I think it was all coming together at the same time. So he was diagnosed. I was coming up against my 20-year cancerversary of living with stage four cancer. Um, We were in the middle of a global pandemic. My business was struggling because of a lot of the choices that I made to really take a step back and, and be present. With my family and and to be a lot more available and to, and we were in a pandemic, and so I think all of that was coming together. And what I realized was this is the one emotion I didn't want to experience. Is why it's called "I'm Not a Morning Person."
1: Mm-hmm. It's Such a great title. Thank you. Such a great title.
0: It was the emotion that I had run from from for quite some time, even though I thought I had dipped in and thought I had dipped out and thought I had, you know overcome certain experiences in my life, um, I realized something very powerful that my own therapist said, she said, when the grief train pulls into the station, it brings all the cars. Mm-hmm. So I really had no other choice. I mean, I guess I, I had other choices. I, I could keep pushing it down and denying it and, and running from it. And, you know, all the things that we do, um, when we don't want to experience something, but I realized that it was too big to carry. And the only way out of the acute pain that I was feeling was to go through it. And as a result of that process and get that continued process, because it doesn't end, I have come to acknowledge grief as a master healer and a master teacher.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, That is so true. And my question to you is how did, um, how did you feel because a cancer diagnosis brings about a lot of grief. Typically, if you deal with it, how did that? How did this feel different than that, or did it not feel different? And you were just—it was just coming to the surface again in a different way.
0: Well, it definitely felt different because it wasn't my own diagnosis, Mm -hmm. right? And and I think in some ways, I live with a very strange, very rare sarcoma that is currently slow growing, but it can become aggressive and. I've been on this watch and wait let cancer make the first move approach for twenty years and in that time I've learned a lot and taught a lot about how to take care of ourselves how to participate mm-hmm. in our well-being which is honestly something that in the beginning felt like okay in a world that's so out of control this is something I can control and at least mm-hmm. that felt good
1: right right
0: and then with my father's diagnosis of pancreatic cancer, those feelings of Completely being out of control came back. But in this case, you know, this was not my journey to walk. This was his journey to walk Mm -hmm. and and for me to walk beside him. And so, um, of course, there was a different kind of fear. And also, his disease was very aggressive. And Mm -hmm. so, you add the time, you know, just the sheer fact that there could potentially be a lot less time and and there was a, a deep urgency around it. So it was very different. I, I was filled with, in the beginning, it was just, I was filled with fear and anxiety to tell you the honest truth.
1: And, and that fear and anxiety felt different because you felt like you had less control because it wasn't your own diagnosis. Like I would imagine there was a lot of fear and anxiety when you originally got your cancer diagnosis.
0: Absolutely, but after 20 years of living with a relatively stable cancer, Mhm. You know, it be for me it's a game of mental management. It's mm-hmm. a it's a it's a marathon of fortitude. And this was a very acute, very aggressive, very fast growing situation. So it's it's like comparing apples and oranges really.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Even mm-hmm. though underlying is mortality, right? So it has that through right. line.
1: Right. Which we live in denial about.
0: Yes, we constantly.
1: (laughs) You know that's that's why I do the show is to help people kind of come out of denial as much as possible around their mortality, which leads me to um, one of the things you say in the book was you talk about watching your parents move towards your dad's death by allowing the preoccupation with life to fade away, and what truly mattered came through, which was the love. Between them, and I'm imagining also between you and your dad, which was such a beautiful love story in and of itself because he's not your biological father and he adopted you and brought you into his world and in such a a warm, we were talking before, open hearted, loving, loving way. Um, Do you think that, you know? one what was it like to watch their love and do you think there's a way to find that without having to stare down death in the face
0: that would be really beautiful i think because we put it off and we think Mm -hmm. we'll figure it out later and we forget that we're hurting humans who are mortal (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think we kick it we kick the can down the road um but when it's right in your face I think what matters becomes very clear and it can be quite sobering and not just in a scary way but in a mm. very beautiful way I mean mm-hmm. I think that ultimately 20 years into living with stage 4 cancer that has been something that I have had the experience to um to really feel and to, and to, and to dive deeply into it's, it's become a compass for me in many mm-hmm. ways. doesn't mean I always mm-hmm. listen because I'm still human. Um, right. <laughs> Damn,
1: but those human qualities. I'm uh, yeah. Like, Come on. There it is again.
0: Yeah. Here we go. It's like, we, we wake up and we go back to sleep and we wake up and we go back to sleep. And right. so it, the, I think the goal is to just maybe shorten the gaps between the two.
1: Yeah. I was going to say, we do that like a million times a day. If you wake, if you can wake up, you're always waking up and falling back asleep.
0: Yeah, exactly. And at least you can say to yourself, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm back. I'm asleep right now. Or, Mm -hmm. Oh, this is what my brain does or whatever it is. It's just to kind of snap yourself back. But to answer your question, when you're in the process of saying goodbye to your life, Um, what I was able to witness with my parents is that the little squabbles and the things that used to irritate them and get under their skin and that are a part, I think of every partnership, whether Mm -hmm. we want to admit it or not really did start to fade because Mm. what remained was this just deep love they had for each other for over 30 years. And as his time shortened, I could see that love grow and grow and grow and blossom in a way that. I would say in the last year of his life, their love was bigger than I'd ever seen love could be.
1: Hmm. And do you think there's a way to get there without that? I Do you think you allow for that expansiveness in a way that maybe you don't in any other time? When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring.
0: I think so. I, I I have to say I do think that um, mortality puts the gas on that, you know. But it, to your point, it's a beautiful goal to aspire to. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're in the day to day with the people that you love, what can you let go of? What What do you really What What do you really want to fight for? You know, is this Is this a a, a sword you want to die on? You know, it's mm-hmm. like even the little things. Like for example, my husband does not like to put. Lid on the grapefruit. Just doesn't like to do it. You know, for whatever reason, you can open it, you could pour it, you could close it right back up. Right. And I could easily be like, damn it, put the top on. I always have to ask you. And I would say that, you know, that's just one of the hills I don't want to die on.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's just not as important as our relationship. And so that's just a very small example of how perspective starts to shift.
1: Well, and I think that this happens all the time and it's, I think about it, you know, every time I leave the house, it's a little bit morbid, but I think, you know, is this the last interaction? What do, is, if this is the last interaction I have with whomever, my kids, my husband, dog who usually gets the short end of the stick and all of this. Um, you know, (laughs) what do I want? How do I want to, how would I feel if God forbid something happens and it's, it is morbid, but it does shift how you are in relation to people, particularly the, your loved ones.
0: Yeah, I think that that's a beautiful practice. And I I I actually think that it's funny. I've never thought The the word morbid, um, I have never really thought about that word. And as you were saying it, I Mm. wanted to kind of like for us to reclaim that word or give that word a different definition or at least a different feeling. Because when we say it, you know, I I can imagine people, some people like shying away from anything that might be morbid. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you're shying away from something that's morbid, you're shying away from life.
1: Right. Right. And I I think... Let's reclaim it now. Sort of like reclaiming death, right? Like yeah. people who don't even say, they come up with all, and I'm sure you experienced this, all different kinds of words to talk about what happened to your dad. He moved to, yeah. he was in a different place. He, he's, he passed on, but the reality is he died.
0: 100%. I was actually very conscious of that throughout the book because when you're writing a book uh, about loss and about, all of the emotions and the experiences that you may go through when you lose, not just someone, but it could also be the loss of, you know, your former sense of self, mm-hmm. the loss of a job, the loss of, you know, for example, a
1: diagnosis is a big loss, right? But anyway, uh, as any diagnosis, it could be your diagnosis. It could be a health diagnosis. It could be a mental health diagnosis. It could be a diagnosis. You're- Child receives, yes. could be a diagnosis a parent receives. I think every life stage is grief and growth, mm. like simultaneously. I think you can't move from one phase to another without having some grief about that that stage ending
0: yeah, I think it's beautiful, grief and growth, you know, I recently moved, and I love our home, and i this is truly our dream home. And mm-hmm. leaving my house, my my former house, where we were for well over a decade, I was ready. And I was also really sad because so yeah. many beautiful memories were there, including memories of times that my dad was there. And so mm-hmm. to your point, it's grief and growth. Do I want to be back at that place? No, I'm so thrilled here. And my heart aches a little bit for that space as well. And both can exist.
1: Exactly. Exactly, and and when we can hold both of those pieces, I think life can be richer. I agree. So, what is, why is why why blah, 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 blah. why is what <laughs> a better question than why? That why me? Why does this ha- why is this happening to me? I think a lot of people go into, and I'll never forget. I had a supervisor once, and she said. I don't remember what it was in the context of, but she said something like, why not you? You know, why not you? Um, So so what do you say about why?
0: So there's a chapter in the book and it's a chapter about rupture. And so I define rupture as that moment when life changes. And Mm. it could be that moment where you feel like the rug was pulled out from under you. All the things that we just talked about, miscarriage loss, divorce, Divorce. you find out your partner's cheating with the neighbor. Like there's just so many moments. Friendship
1: losses, which I think we don't talk enough about.
0: Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, Absolutely. And so those are the ruptures and they're big and small and none of us are immune from them. This is part of life. And I think what happens sometimes with these ruptures is first and foremost, they always give us opportunities to realign. They always give us opportunities to really look at our priorities, even when we're in the middle of heartbreak, You know, to look at our priorities, to even maybe resuscitate an old dream and desire that you have put off. They bring our, sharp, our values into sharp relief. So there are some, I wouldn't say benefits of rupture, Um, but there are some positive things that can happen from those ruptures. Does that mean I want those things to happen? Absolutely not. Right. But again, the point is, is that they will rearrange us and Mm
2: -hmm.
0: they will. And so we can, like, I'll take the, for the example, the example of my diagnosis, sometimes asking the question why can be very fruitful. We should always ask why, why did this happen? You know? Because sometimes we may find an answer. We actually might find an answer that's useful for us. The problem is, is that when we get stuck in the rumination of why, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and the rumination of why becomes the focus, which can be very, uh, it can create a lot of guilt. It can create a lot of shame. It can create a lot of, you know, lack of problems with our self-worth. It can keep us stuck in the unchangeable past. And, what I have found is if you are in a place like that, or you find yourself continuing to drift back into that place is the better question is what, what can I do now to support Mm -hmm. my mental health? What can I do now to support my body and what can I do now to support my spirit?
1: Well, and, and I think how you approach why, when you just talked about it is also like, what it's not, why me, it's sort of like, why, which (laughs) feels different than like, why, um, because you're, you're looking at like, okay, what might have been, what might be some of the things that I could do to make things better for myself, which is what you've built your whole career on since your diagnosis was how could I, how can I use this to understand how we can live healthier, more fruitful lives in that way. Right.
0: Absolutely. Without question. Not why did this happen to me? What did I do wrong? Was I not a good person? You know, Mm -hmm. all those types of things are very unproductive.
1: So your dad, your dad's personality, I felt like really came through in this book. And clearly he had a vibrance for life. Can you share some of his wisdom bombs that he would drop throughout?
0: I made a point of weaving in fatherly advice throughout that I thought everybody could use to hear because he had so much of it (laughs) and all of it, a lot of it was very, very funny. And so, um, one of the things that's, I think easy and each and every one of us can benefit from, he always used to tell me, do the hard thing first, Mm. do the hard Mm. thing first. And you think about that. I know me, I run my own company and, I'll get to my desk and it's so tempting to hit the low hanging fruit.
1: And check it off the list. Check it off the list. It feels feels good. I did one thing today.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's, It's to the point I actually wrote about this in the book is I don't know if you've ever done this, Amy, where you've done it, but you don't get the satisfaction of checking it off. So you write it on the list, even though you've already done it, just so you can cross it off.
1: Oh, I'll bring it back out of my to-do list. Like if something mistakenly gets like moved and with a check mark and like, I will bring it back to move it back down.
0: <laughs> yeah. So this is what we do, right? So when he, that's just a, a classic saying, do the hard thing first, because it gets you so much further down the field. And also mm. it, it helps you feel so much better to tackle mm. it and get it behind you. Those um,
1: things seem to take longer.
0: They do, but, you know, they tend to th- be the things that get you further down the field in life, you right.
1: know? Oh, man.
0: It's true. And so, but I would say one of one of the great uh, bits of wisdom that I share in the book is make your golden years now.
1: Mm, that, yes. But that, is, that to me is... What life is all about and but my question is how do you think you do that with life you know life life getting in the way right because when I think of the golden years I think of like retirement when you have more resources perhaps or um, if you have children your children are out of the home you know you can Make choices that look different than perhaps they do at a younger time in your life. So, I'm curious your thoughts on that.
0: I'm so glad that you framed that up because, you know, if I go back to the point in the book where I share that advice, my father had—he's—he worked his entire life. He owned his own uh, paving business, and the summer was his busiest time, and so. We had never gone on a trip as a family during the summertime which is usually when you know kids are off you know right we had never gone on a trip or, or very short little trips here and there in the summer and here we are at the end of his life and we had kind of created a bucket list of places that we would go and spend time together and one of them was martha's vineyard and he it was for his birthday and he, he was toasting and he said you know i never gave myself this opportunity I thought I would do things like this later when I retired and all of these wonderful things that I would then be able to do in retirement. And here I am, I've just sold my business, I'm technically in retirement and I'm dying of stage four cancer. Mm -hmm. And he said, none of this is guaranteed. So you need to make your golden years now. Find out what your more like this experience is, you know, because he said, I wish I'd given myself more times like this. Mm -hmm. Find out what your more like this is a lot earlier and make your golden years now. It's not black or white. It's, it's, can I include more of these moments throughout each year of my life? Right. So I'm not like hoarding it all up for the end.
1: (laughs) And even each day. Yeah. You know, I think- I, Without I question, sp- I spent some time this summer for the first time alone, which I don't think I've ever done, and came back feeling really rejuvenated and thinking, "How can I now find more of this throughout the year?" We'll we'll see how I do. So far, in like two weeks, it's not going great, but <laughs> but it is it is something to aim for. In terms of like, I had this opportunity, I don't want to wait now another year to have that again. Exactly. I think, yeah, to your point, like how can we find these little moments more now?
0: Yeah. And I think that we can't find them. We have to intentionally create them. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's the difference because to your point, we're all busy. We've all got too much on our plates. We live in a very fast paced world that is changing by the minute. And then we bring in things like AI. We have no idea how life is going to be rapidly changing for us. And so it's not a passive experience living. It's active and it's intentional. Mm -hmm. And if if you aren't in that place where It is active and intentional it will go by much Mm -hmm. faster than you want it to
2: it
1: will basically like roll you over i feel it it
0: could more
1: (laughs) than go go it could it could what are some other wisdom bombs
2: okay
0: well one of the things that i loved especially you know we were talking about love earlier and as love was growing in his heart and uh, love was kind of the dominant energy in the room. Um, he would say, if you love somebody, say it, if you feel it, say it, Because mm-hmm. life is too short. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of a guy's guy. He was old school. So it was like all his golf buddies would hang out. And these were not the things that they would say to each other. Do you know what I mean? But he would be like, love you, Kev. Love you, Frank. You know, love you, and Phil. And he would
1: do that all the time or only as he neared death?
0: He didn't, I don't think he did it as much before then, um, but then everybody was like loving and love you, Ken, love you, Phil, love you, Frank, you know what I mean? And so it's a beautiful experience to tell somebody you love them.
1: And for them to, to sounds like, feel it and embrace it and then start saying it to each other or other people. And then it just love spreads in that way.
0: Exactly. Okay, I'm
1: going to switch gears a little bit um to your therapist because I was curious about this because I've said things like this before and I love it she says to you um it is what it is but you don't have to like it and I think some people might have a strong reaction to that like what do you mean it is a therapist she sounds like my type of therapist she <laughs> sounds like d- direct and empathic simultaneously um you know some people don't want to hear that they don't want to know that it is what it is so how do you how did that make you feel how do you interpret that
0: let's just say that my therapist has some of the greatest sayings and I'm lucky to include them in the book um like if it's not one thing it's your mother
1: <laughs> you know <laughs> i just texted that to someone like 3 days before i read it in your book i was like oh my god this is so funny i'm trying to remember who it was there if you're listening text me back and let me know because i was just cracking up about yeah uh, and with the with the new york accent yeah
0: exactly if it's hysterical it's historical you know um lots of good stuff so she always had me laughing and thinking um but when it comes to it is what it is and you you don't have to like it i find that to be very empowering so Mm hmm I live with stage four cancer. It is what it is and I don't have to like it.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Right. So I think a part of that at the essence of that is learning about the power and the transformative, um, alchemical aspects of acceptance. Mm. That's what it is at its heart. It's not about giving up. It's not about being defeated. It's not about lowering your standards. It's about accepting very soberly where you are in that moment. Because if we can't accept where we are in that moment, how can we then start to strategize about where we want to go?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that goes back to the why me, if, or the why. If you're spending a lot of time in that space of questioning why, then you're not accepting what is and able to move forward from that place.
0: I agree. And, and there's a powerful... um Piece in the book where I talk about the difference between healing and curing.
1: That's my next question. So go ahead. <laughs> okay,
0: good. We're on the same page. I think it dovetails in because for a lot of people, acceptance is a tricky uh, thing to wrap their mind around. And I remember I talked about this at the top of this chapter. I was giving a keynote, and I was backstage in the green room, and there was other speakers back there, and. Somebody said, oh, you know, what are you speaking about? And I talked about the transformative power of acceptance. And this other speaker said, oh, so you teach people about how to give up? And I was like, yeah, no, but this is clearly why I have to go out there and give this keynote. Like right. if, if you don't get it, then they don't, you know what I mean? Like, here we go. So mm,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I think that if we think about healing and curing, at least these are these are my opinions. This is what... Uh, What I've come to understand, especially as a person who lives with stage four cancer, the, the difference is stark, right? Sometimes we may be cured of whatever it is that we're dealing with that may happen. And that's wonderful if it does, but it may not happen also. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that we put our life on pause and that we can no longer live. Like once this is over, then I'll live because it might not be over, right? The cure may not happen. Exactly. 100%. Healing, on the other hand, can happen anytime. Healing is an ongoing process. As you well know, healing can happen as you're actively dying. It's available Mm -hmm. to each and every one of us. And so when I really Mm -hmm. realized that and made that difference for myself, it became very essential for me to understand and appreciate the power of acceptance, of like acceptance really to me means I will not abandon myself in my time of need.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I will not abandon myself in my time of need.
0: Yeah. I'm not going anywhere. I got Mm -hmm. you, girl. I got your back. No matter how dark this gets, no matter what shit pickle you find in yourself in, I got you. That's acceptance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's not passive. It's actually quite defiant.
1: Well, and everything that we've talked about today is not passive. Yeah, It's it's actively, and this is what you teach, and it's actively engaging in your life all the time moment to moment, day to day, year to year. That's beautiful, Amy. What surprised you about your grief most?
0: It surprised me how big it was and how, you know, you you know this from your background about how many other emotions came along for the ride that Mm kind of sideswiped me. Which is why so, I break it down that way in the book in various chapters, um, because I just thought it would be sadness and it was mm-hmm. not the case.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. What else did you, did you experience and are you still experiencing perhaps?
0: Um, well, I'll experience them all because I think uh, as you well know, our emotions are information and we can't amputate any of them and expect to be whole. Mm-mm. Right, and and it's our it's our desire to that messes us up. Right, you know, like I, I always
1: I'll... say, it's like a whack-a-mole. <laughs> like you can try, you go ahead, you try to whack that one down, but be careful because it'll pop up. You know that that game that yes, it'll pop up somewhere else for sure, and like maybe two at once. So <laughs> like, deal with them as they come.
0: Very well said, and I have had that experience more times than I'd like to admit. Um, so yeah, a lot of the big emotions. I, I was surprised by how guilty I felt when I mm. got a good scan and my father's down the road getting bad news. Cause we both,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I was at Dana Farber. He was at Mass General in Boston and we happened to be at the hosp- two different hosp- cancer hospitals at the same time. I get good news. He doesn't get good news. And I have right. survival's survivors guilt. I'm thinking mm-hmm. this is not fair. I was afraid to even share the news. And of course, your parents, they want to hear nothing but good news coming right. from your oncologist. Here I am thinking I can't share that. I feel so
1: guilty.
2: hmm hmm
1: And everything that comes along with with that, like the, I mean, just the dynamics of that with your dad dying and you getting like a life diagnosis and his is a death diagnosis and what's, yeah. And for your mom, how emotional that has to be just being in the middle of those two experiences, right? Like feeling, I'm sure just the overwhelming joy for you. And then the intense. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And so, going back to the question of the emotions that would surprise me, that was one lot of I'd say about midway through my experience is when I really came face to face with anger
2: Mm.
0: and then Mm. the shame that followed it. Um, And I learned a lot about that emotion and I did a lot of research on that emotion. And one of the things that I really benefited from as the author of this book was to explore emotional literacy more. And
2: mm-hmm.
0: I, I feel like every single one of us as human beings, we have a sense of what that is. We have a sense of what it feels like, but then when we actually start to do research and, and educate ourselves about our different emotions, I think it, it creates an opportunity for us to, first of all, learn how to navigate them better, but secondly, have a lot more compassion for
1: ourselves. Mm-hmm. Well, and and when you're conscious and paying attention, you start to recognize sort of like what we were talking about earlier. You wake up, you go to sleep, you wake up, you go to sleep. Like These emotions are there all day long in all different capacities if you are allowing yourself to witness them, but not necessarily judge them. You're just like, oh, feeling a little bit sad right now or feeling irritable or feeling anxious or feeling angry or feeling guilty or feeling ashamed. I mean, they're, they're kind of all always there like quietly in the background for different things, I think. And, and we do a great job of, of repressing them or suppressing them really and keeping them at bay. But they're not, they're just, like you said, they're just information.
0: Yeah. And I I really, really appreciate how you're spelling this out for us. And I would say that at a time in my life, I wouldn't even be able to articulate what it was I was feeling, let alone Mm -hmm. understand what I should learn about that emotion. And there's this exercise that I remember an acting teacher of mine taught millions of years ago. Um, And it's called calling conditions. And it's basically about standing up. And it was how we would warm up our instruments and actually say one word at a time how we were feeling, tired, hungry, pissed, jealous, um, whatever it was, just to be able to articulate the emotions because Mm -hmm. this was the instrument. And I feel like that's just a great exercise for every single one of us to just be able to say what it is that you're feeling because more often than not, we walk through life super checked out and unconscious. And then all of a sudden we have this big reaction to something and we might be startled or surprised by it, mm-hmm. or we're feeling this malaise and we can't put our finger on it. And, um, that simple, simple action of what you just said, which is basically recognizing that we have all these different emotions running very often, every single, you know, it may be in the same minute and right. yeah. it, just being able to, First and foremost, name them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, for so many people, it's so difficult for a number of reasons. And because it's the sea I swim in all the time, sometimes I forget the simplicity of it all. Like it's, you know, when you're doing it for so long and I've been almost practicing for almost 20 years and it's like, yeah, of course, like we all feel these things all day. Because this is what I do with people is I help them navigate their feelings all day. But then you realize, yeah, n- most people are not aware that that's the process of, of their experience. So I think it's helpful to really spill it, to spell it out in that way.
0: And even when we, we become experts again, we go back to sleep. So being able to say, whenever you're confused, say, how do I go back to beginner's mind?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Because life gives us little punches all the time. Thanks life. Little jabs. (laughs) So let's shift to my favorite thing to talk about when I'm talking about death, which is signs and, and experiences that we have. So can you share with us first, were you a spiritual person before your dad died? And what did that look like?
0: Yes. I've had moments of deep spirituality and I've had moments of always being connected to energy and consciousness and, um, personal development and just even the energy of love, Mm. um, which Mm -hmm. I think is, which I could say is my spirituality. I have also had times where I'm more agnostic. I've had times where I've been, I would consider myself more of an atheist. Mm -hmm. And so I've, I've allowed myself to run the gamut of what I believe, um, but always coming back to energy is something that never dies. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And beyond that, I'm not exactly sure and being able to say, and that's okay. um, I, I I feel the presence of my dad and I talk to him still. Mm. And I choose to believe that I get signs. Um, And I'll share one of the beautiful stories in the book, which is, Mm -hmm. so I was diagnosed on Valentine's day. So every Valentine's day, he would call me and say, how's my Valentine today? Mm -hmm. You know? So obviously, you know, I, it's rough. He had died on February 11th, February 14th is Valentine's day. And, um, it's my 20 year cancerversary that particular Valentine's day. So it's kind of a big deal. Yeah. And, um, I asked my mom if she wanted to go for a walk on the beach and we went for a walk and, you know, obviously our hearts are heavy and it's hard to, to describe all the emotions that I'm feeling on that Mm -hmm. day. I always got long stem red roses, either from my dad or from my husband, Brian, and Mm. we keep walking and walking and walking. And we're walking far beyond where any beachgoers are. I think the only thing out there is our grief. And we see these two red roses standing at attention, like flying little flags in the sand.
1: I have the goosebumps as you tell it.
0: So we both burst into tears and we spend time Mm -hmm. with the flowers and we take the flowers and, you know, it's just hard to believe that I just go, mom, mom, look, look, look ahead. And we're walking back and we've got the flowers and it's just such an incredibly beautiful moment. And we get to the parking lot and I look up and I can see inside somebody's apartment and it's this, guy he's walking over and to get into his lazy boy chair he's got a big screen tv and he's about to start a movie and the title card of the movie comes up and it's surviving death right so it's not just the red roses
1: leslie keen's yeah um her book and then they turned it into a netflix exactly netflix series yeah so
0: the roses and then and i was just like hey dad good to see you.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: What's doing? Mm-hmm. Cause that's what he always would say. Hey, tell me what's doing, what's doing?
2: Oh.
0: You know? So I was like, Hey dad, what's doing?
1: And have that, has that continued for you since? Have you continued to receive signs and had synchronicities?
0: I have absolutely. And I, I have a feeling that there's a lot more around that I will, uh, you know, I'm not aware of, quite honestly, because I, I feel like one of the things that I've experienced is this opportunity to make our life a treasure hunt, which is what I write about in the book. You know, mm-hmm. it's like actively asking and then looking. And then because what is so, so obvious is, are the signs of absence. Right. But we have to look for the signs of presence. The The absence is all around the, mm-hmm. the clothes that are still hanging on the hanger, the chair that was the favorite. Right. The absence is very easy to see, but the mm-hmm. presence is something we have to actively look for.
1: And it, it's there. And if you ask for it, I think it's even there more powerfully, even though it's interesting that you were talking about consciousness and the, the I had an interview earlier today and it was a neuroscientist and we talked about, um, consciousness and does consciousness, you know, exist after death and what his thoughts were. I'm not going to give it away because you should all go listen, but, um, we had a very, very interesting talk from a scientific perspective around, around that topic. So, um, it's just fascinating to think about. And I think when these experiences happen, it always makes you, at least my experience with it has been, it always makes me hopeful and it makes me feel like there is magic out there that I just don't understand, but I know it's magical and beautiful and and really fun in that way. Mm. And fun to have those, like to, to even play with loved ones who have passed and say, show, I need you to show up for me please like I just need to know that you're still there and I know it's not the same but I want to know that you're still there and then when they do how is this like how how does this happen how is this real and yet it feels real and it is real and it feels good and I don't know it just it just makes I think makes life more magical and fun I
0: think that that's absolutely beautiful and I I'm on board for it because I I feel like there's no downside to magic and there's no downside to comfort, you know? And one of the things that I have been doing is, um, talking to my dad about business decisions. So, because he would be the person that I would always call, Hey dad, do you think I should do this? Or do you think I should do that? And, you know, I think I should hire this person or here's the thing. And Mm. so I have put him in charge of HR, and i did get a really good resume this week so uh we'll see but can you
1: he help me too yes i think, I call him on
0: <laughs> I think he probably could he, he had an act for stuff like that
1: i'm gonna use him as well so chris where if people haven't found you yet which is a little bit hard to believe because i feel like lots of people have found you but if they haven't where can they and where can they get your book, which I'm assuming everywhere. So let's just give a little plug.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So it's available everywhere books are sold and you can find me at Chriscar.com
1: It's probably a question I should stop asking. Where could we find your book? <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> like, it's a good question though, where you know, <laughs> can't you find books. <laughs> <laughs> I wish that people would be able to say there's this adorable little bookstore by my house come over. Right. Come, come, come to this bookstore. I remember we were just sad because Barnes and Noble closed. And we were like, we know it's bad when you're upset that Barnes and Noble has gone out of business because they were the ones that put the little people out of business. So um, Chris, thank you so much for your time today for this really enlightening interview. And for what you've done for the world in terms of just empowering so many women over so many years to take control of their lives, their health, their well-being. And this is just another way to do that is to embrace whatever it is you're grieving because it does not have to be the death of a loved one. I think that's really, really important for people to know that grief is there is, it's like a companion always in many ways. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Amy. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore...